Stay on our feet to praise and worship the Lord this morning. I want to remind you of some things with this psalm as we go into our praise and worship time. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. That's what the devil wants us to do, right? Forget the benefits of the Lord. Here they, here they are. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Did he say all on both of those? Let's try that again. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who, for, who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. The next one's for everybody over 55. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. <laughs> the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Good news. The gospel doesn't just mean good news. It also mean, it means good news with a reward. That's what it means in the Greek. So, we have all that in Jesus Christ. Let's remember His death. Let's also remember His resurrection. And let's get ready to meet Him. Because soon, and very soon, we're going to see our King. Amen? Let's give Him praise this morning. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you, Lord, that you're on our side. Help us, Lord, to follow hard after you. We may know your goodness, your grace. Bring us into a greater level of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah. So you sh should have received a newsletter by now from this month. <clears throat> I want to read a little bit of that to you before we get into the Scripture. It'll be a reread for those of you who've already taken it and read it. Talking about the story of Ruth, and the, here's what I put in this newsletter. The story of Ruth in the Bible gives us a picture of defeat and then victory. It shows us the destruction of doing things our way and or doing things God's way. Also, this story is once again a picture of God entering into a bad situation and making something good out of it. Here in the book of Ruth, Elimelech left God's chosen land and chosen people during a troubled time and went to a land to try and make his own way with the strange people. We should never let our trouble remove us from where God has told us to abide. But that's the temptation, right? Well, we say grass is always greener somewhere else. Abraham tried this. Kings of Israel and Judah tried this. Jonah tried this. And people today still try this method. Obeying God should be our top priority. Not what we desire or think is best. We are called not to walk by sight but by faith, and faith gets its power from what God has said. God's word is forever settled in heaven, and he magnified his word above his name. So we should hang our lives on his word. Remembering Psalm 20 and 7, some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, where the contrast is between trusting in something we see 
chariots and horses, or the name of the Lord. It's an interesting statement because the name of the Lord, the Bible says, is a strong tower we can run into. In the New Testament, we know the Bible promotes the name of Jesus above all other names. Jesus is the one we run to to be saved in the eternal sense and in our present and in the present tense in any given situation. Back to the story of Ruth, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, lost both her sons and husband to death. They lost their lives because earlier in the Old Testament, God had told them not to go to a foreign land to seek help. This move against God's command was a costly one and surely was devastating to Naomi. The conclusion of the story is one where we see back in Judah, God had provided food so they should have never left. However, the reality is they did leave. And Ruth became a part of the equation. Ruth proves to be a faithful and loyal convert, one Naomi was blessed by in the days that followed. Also, the story turns to give us a picture of the Messiah in Boaz. Boaz eventually marries Ruth, takes her in, and brings her into a place of blessing. So God surely wants, so God surely wants us to obey Him, and not doing so will be costly. But if we look to Him... God, we can always find grace and mercy in the time of need. God is a present help in trouble we didn't cause. And I put no. God is a present help in all trouble, even the kind we cause. Do not be too proud to cry out because God always responds to those whose heart cries to Him. Those who put their trust in God will not be put to shame. I'm going to take you to Jeremiah. On the heels of that reading, in verse, chapter 18, verse 1. Jeremiah, chapter 18, verse 1. It's about the potter's house. And the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will cause you to hear my words. So the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. Then I went down to the potter's house. And there, wa there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. So... We talk, in the New Testament, Paul talks about us being vessels for honor or dishonor. We're vessels of dishonor, certainly when we live our lives to ourselves. When we make decisions like Naomi's husband Elimelech did to do what they think's best instead of what God thinks best. And that's a challenge to all of us. The first lesson we see here in, this potter house, in the potter's house as the Bible says, it seemed good to the potter to make. God is in charge. I'm not saying you're always going to like that. I'm not saying you're always going to agree with it. But God's in charge. In my worst hour, I don't have any reservations or any thought that who's not in charge. I know who's in charge. And I surrender to that. We didn't make ourselves... We don't create anything. It takes God and His Spirit and the life that He gives to bring anything to pass. And we want to have eternal things working in our life, not just temporal things. So as we look at this passage, number one, God's the boss. He is. You're not the boss. The president's not the boss. Vladimir Putin's not the boss. The guy in China's not the boss. God is the boss. What he says matters. What he says counts. What he says is all that we're going to be judged about. So God has the last say in every single thing, including when we draw our last breath. He decides that. He decides when our work is done. He decides when our life is over. He decides when we've come to the end of our race. God will have the final say in judgment. Whether we've been clothed in Christ and following Him 
or whether we've lived life unto ourselves. I know we focus on all the outward things that sin does coming out of our lives and out of situations, but sin really is when you and I decide to do things our way instead of God's. It doesn't matter what it is. That's why Paul said if you break the law in one point, you broke the whole law. That was what was wrong with the Pharisees. They were good in certain things that were outward, but inside they were full of dead men's bones, Jesus said. So they were breaking the law internally, maybe not externally in a way that people could see. And when Ezekiel come and God gave him those visions, the priests and all of them who were outside worshiping God and doing things rightly, inside had idols and other things in their homes that were against God's word. So God has the last say. You're going to have to reconcile to that. I don't care where you grew up. I don't care what color skin you have. I don't care what kind of false religion you've practiced or been into. You and I are going to have to reconcile the fact that God is the last say in everything. And the most intrusive and the most arrogant thing is when we think we can run our own lives. We can't. We did such a good job, didn't we, before Jesus showed up. But nothing we did was eternal until the Holy Spirit came around. So the next thing I want you to look at here is he's making this vessel over again. They don't have to do that. They could just cast it aside. In fact, we'll see that. They could just throw it away, break it. But in this occasion, we see that the potter is willing to try and make it over again. And to do what's best in his eyes. Do you know that God knows what's best for us more than we do? He does. I'm glad God picked my wife and not me. Right? God puts us together for a reason. And he said, And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel. That's what happens to us with salvation. God steps into our life and makes us over. What happened? The enemy came in, sowed tares in the field. Caused us to be marred. Caused us not to produce anything. And so God takes our lives when we're born again, and He makes them over. And sometimes, in my case, and probably yours, since I've been a Christian, He's had to throw me back on the wheel and work on me some more and get that little thing. You saw, have you ever, anybody ever watched a potter work? And watch him take that tool and just start trimming some things down or maybe creating something inside of the clay. That's what God's trying to do in us. He wants to make us vessels fit for His use, as Paul says in the New Testament. That's God's desire for your life and mine, that He would make vessels fit for His use so that we'd be effective tools for Him. And I've learned this, and many of you have learned this sitting here in this building today. If we seek the kingdom of God first, all the things that we need and beyond what we need, He will add into our lives. We've seen that happen. Far more than what you would have ever got done on your own. God is a faithful God. He's a faithful creator. He's a faithful father. So now we see this vessel who is marred is a picture of sin that works in all of our lives. When we come to Christ, he puts us on the wheel, right? And he starts making us over again. And then sometimes when this vessel gets used, it gets chipped Maybe some of the, 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 the brightness wears off and maybe the potter takes it back in to the house and works on it some more. We get dull. Jesus talked about how people can get dull of hearing. When you read the Bible as a text and a history book only, it will be dull to you eventually. But when you see it as the life of God, as it's food for our spirit and our soulish man, you will understand how exciting it is to get into it every day. We live not by bread, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's how we're sustained. That's how we make it through our journey and get to the other side. So the potter makes the clay. Now, 
there were two, off, two offerings in the Old Testament. The trespass offering and the sin offering. Well, there were five actually total, but these dealt with things that we want to talk about this morning. These two offerings, the trespass offering are for deeds that we know. Things we've done wrong and we know about it. The sin offering was for Israel for the condition of being a sinner. So, you've heard me say this before. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. Let me say that again. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. You and I were born into sin. I like, I've shared with this before. Let's come up to somebody that's got a newborn baby and say, Oh, what a pretty little sinner you have. <laughs> we're born into sin. We're born into sin because of what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. Right? And they fell. They disobeyed. And their disobedience brought death and every other bad thing into the world. It opened the door. It, it opened the gateway for the enemy to come in and bring all kinds of sinful things and consequential things that have come about because of sin. These people were slated to live forever until they disobeyed. And when they disobeyed, sin came in. God understands our condition. We read about that in Psalm 103 before we end our praise and worship time. He knows that we need a, 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 an advocate and that we are sinners. So when we come to God, we must realize it's not just the acts that we're asking forgiveness for. It's the condition of sin. He takes us, puts us back on the wheel, and makes us over again. And then through life, sometimes He may put us back in, bring us back into the shop, redo our paint, whatever He needs to do on this vessel to keep us as an instrument for His use. But this initial conversion that we call salvation or redemption whatever you want to call it, somebody's been redeemed or born again. Although that's what we're seeing here initially is that the potter takes the vessel and remakes it over. That's what salvation's about, right? And then this is necessary because we are a sinner, right? We sin because we're a sinner. And then we have specific deeds maybe that we've done or have left undone that sometimes when we go before the Father, we can confess. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's the problem that the church got into over the years, especially in this country. We got into this calling big and little sins, right? And Paul says, that if you break the law on one point, you broke the whole law. Now, when you sin or when I sin, we're still breaking the law. We just now have an advocate for the breaking when we break God's commands, right? So when you sin, you may sin in this point, but the law's been broken no matter what we say. Now, there are sins that have worse consequences in this life. We understand that. But to go against God is sin. It doesn't matter in what venue you do it in or what manifestation that has. And so Jesus was nailed to the tree or the cross for white lives, black lives. Doesn't matter. We separate lies, right? We say this is a bad, really bad lie, and this one's not so bad. That's not how the Bible teaches. In fact, the book of Revelation says all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. All ours. So, tell your neighbors, stop, say, stop lying. <laughs> I hope that didn't hit home with anybody. No, I, if it needed to, whatever. So, you bring trespass offering because you realize you've done things that are wrong. You bring a sin offering because you know the condition of mankind. Jesus covered all of that for us at the cross. But when you come to ask for forgiveness, especially the initial moment when you get made over again, you should not just be thinking of all the bad things you sh you've done. You should also be thinking that all come out of a bad heart. 
That's where it came from. We don't. We can't blame though. As long I'm going to say this, and I hope you'll take it. As long as it's somebody else's fault, you ain't never going to be free. Until you look in the mirror and say, I have a responsibility to God myself. I don't care which side of the tracks I was raised on. I don't care what my family was like. We all have a responsibility to God. And the Bible says the grace of God that brings salvation in the book of Titus has appeared to all men. So we were going to be without an excuse. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as a potter? Says the Lord, look as the clay is the potter's hand. So are you in my hand, O house of Israel. God's in charge. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon them. And I'll, in, in an instant, the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning the kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good which I have said and I will not... And, and that I, would, I said I would benefit it. So there is a... Some, our relationship to God hinges on whether we obey Him or not. You can't deny that. Jesus said, the people that love me are the ones that do what? Obey, obey me. So there's a connection between obedience. That's really the biggest issue of sin. That's how it all got kicked off. Because Adam and Eve decided to do things their way instead of doing it God's way. And so you, that, that's some of the deception we have in our culture today. Well, I'm a good person. I don't go to church and I don't serve Jesus, but I don't do all the bad things that He said not to do. You're, you're only understanding one offering. You're only understanding the trespass offering. You're not understanding the sin offering. You're not understanding you're born into sin. And the, the simple fact... That you live your life apart from God and do your own thing. That is sin. That is sin. God owns you and me. He owns us. He created us. He gave us life. And apart from Him, not only would we not have eternal life, we could not have life at all, even in this life. God owns us. And to disregard that, and that's why the world and Satan has worked so hard for the last hundred years or so, however long it's been, to, to discount Genesis 1 through 11. Because it's about accountability. If you can throw away creation, if you'll read your Bible, and I trust that you do, and you'll notice how many times in the Old and New Testament, even the Pauline epistles, how many times God reminds us He's the Creator. Things did not just happen by chance. They're by design. And so if that's the truth, and we know that it is, then that's why the enemy has attacked it. Because he don't want you and I to be accountable to God. He wants us to do our own thing. That's what he wants us to do. And that's where most people are missing it. They're just thinking, well, I don't steal from anybody. I've not killed anybody in the last six months. Whatever, right? I don't do any of those things. So I'm good. No, you're not. You can only bring one offering for that. But there's another offering that must be brought. You and I were born into sin. How we get out of that is to believe on Jesus Christ. He become, Paul said, He becomes our sin offering. He became our sin offering. He is this Passover lamb. He covered our trespasses and our sinful condition. Notice how many times the Bible talks about both of those, trespasses and iniquity, right? Iniquity and sin have a little variance, and they have a variance in the fact that iniquity is that desire inside of us that causes us to go after the wrong thing. Sin is the manifestation of when we do the wrong thing. And so Jesus has covered all of that. Now the problem we have in the, new, in the world we live in today is your Bible was first written in Hebrew, the Old Testament, then Greek, the New Testament, with a little bit of Aramaic, and then all that stuff started getting retranslated. Well, when Jerome took the Greek and translated it into Latin, he, they, they took the emphasis off the word repentance they took that emphasis from will and placed it on emotion. And that messed the whole course of that up. 
In other words, repentance means to turn and go a different direction. We have people, I've watched this for my whole life, but 30-some years as a pastor. You have people come up feeling sorry about what they've done. There's the trespass offering. They wish they hadn't have done it. They cry some tears, but they don't deal with the internal condition that is you and I are sinners. And the problem is that is because what they did when they translated the Greek from Latin, they placed the emphasis on repentance on more of an emotional thing and not of the will. The Greek does not allow that. It places the emphasis on the will. So your whole thing about getting saved, right? About getting redeemed or born again. Our whole deal about that is surrender, right? We surrender our will. You cannot get victory by just bringing a trespass offering. You can only get victory when you say, I'm surrendering my will to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I've told this story a lot, but it fits here, and it's a really good story. A friend of mine was baptizing a guy at the river openly. People were we baptized back in the mountains, big river. And one of the wealthiest, richest guys in the area had gotten saved, and he had his wallet in his back pocket. He's walking into the river to be baptized. A lot of people there to see this guy get baptized, right? Because they couldn't believe it. <laughs> it's kind of like Jesse in my situation. Couldn't believe it. And so he, he goes down, and his wife's on the bank, and she says, Hey, your wallet's in your pocket. Give me your wallet. And he turned, because that was what his life was all about, money, right? He turned, and the whole crowd heard him say, It's going under too. It's no longer going to be my God. I'm burying that part of my life too. So you can come and feel bad and feel guilty. That's the trespass offering. And say, I don't want to do that anymore. But if you don't deal with the internal situation that's going on inside of you, that's the iniquity side. That's the sin offering. And Jesus has offered us a place of hope in all that because He became that offering for us. So He says, he says uh, this is what the Lord is trying to get across. To us. Now therefore speak to the men of Judah to enhance Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now everyone from his evil way and make your ways in doing good. I believe that's a word to America. We have been so blessed in this country. And now we've got a lot of churches that are designed just like this. All they ask people for when they come, even if they even ask this any longer, all they ask for is for them just to bring a trespass offering. Now you know I'm speaking figuratively. You cannot get victory over anything unless you let God deal with the internal condition. I'm talking to Christians as well as sinners now. Sometimes Christians get caught up in activities or things that they become habitual about. And so this is why David prayed when he prayed. David and Abraham especially, and Moses and a couple others, but David and Abraham especially had New Testament revelations in the Old Testament. That's why David got by with eating the showbread when he couldn't, wasn't supposed to do it. Because he understood God was after a relationship. And actually God said that about him, right? He's a man after my own heart. So David understand. That's why David, if you read David's Psalms, he prays a lot for his heart. He don't bring up all of his deeds. He talks about his heart because he knows this internal condition is what's producing the need for this offering. Are you with me? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Out of the heart comes things that are not right, Jesus said. I'm just giving you New Testament doctrine. And so this, this was typical of what Jesus was going to offer to us in Him. You have the sin and the trespassing offer in Christ. But when you come to Christ, if you're lost, you need to surrender your life. If you're a Christian and you've got dull after you've been on the potter's wheel and you realize you're trespassing God in something, you need to let Him deal with that which is internal as well. You need to come to the altar and not just feel sorry about what you've done, but let God change your heart so you no longer desire that. That's what the sin offering is for. And so the sin and the trespass offering... Are, are all together in Christ, but we need to understand them so that when you get up for an altar, you don't go back for the 1,000th time to the same thing you prayed about. Am I talking to anybody? You want to overcome sin, it's all in Christ. But you're not going to overcome sin unless you surrender. 
I'm talking to Christians and non-Christians. If you've got an issue that's driving you uh, apart from God's Word, you need to understand that's coming in here. Quit blaming it on everything else. It's coming out of here. That's where it's coming from. And we got to deal with that or let, let the Holy Spirit deal with that. You Quit blaming stuff on everybody but Satan. You can blame him if you want to. But we have to take some responsibility for our own lives. Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Now ask yourself if that's how your life looks to you. Does your life look like it's that who that's greater in, is in you than the, than the world? Is that how your life looks? So now I want you to re-up. I want you to understand that the Greek word for repentance means that you have a will involved, that you change direction. If I'm going the wrong way, if I need to repent, repentance don't mean that I keep going the same direction in whatever issue. Repentance means I turn and go the other way. Now, let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 27. I got good news for you. I didn't take you too far in the valley, but I'm getting ready to bring you out anyway. We just started down the hill a little ways. In Matthew chapter 27, let's look at verse 3. Repentance is God's invitation to step into our situation and to put us on the wheel if necessary. In Matthew 27, verse 3, the Bible says, Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. So he's feeling the weight of what he'd done with Jesus. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Help me here, Lord. People could get out of a lot of depression and guilt if they would just get right with God. And understand who He is. Let me say this the way I want to say it. I want to be a representative of God, His Word, and what He's asked me to do. So I don't care what you think. See, that's what's driving these last few generations. They care about what everybody else thinks. I don't care if they say, you're so small-minded, how can you believe in creation? I don't care. Let's see who's right. And what I tell those people that come out of certain schools where they count themselves above the rest of us, you go rise from the dead and we'll talk about your theory. But until you rise from the dead, I'm sticking with the one that rose from the dead. And Jesus affirmed everything about creation in the New Testament. Do you know that? Because when they came and said, send Lazarus back from the dead, that's what the rich man said, to go tell my brothers. Jesus said, they have Moses and the prophets. If they don't believe what he said, they won't believe one, though he come from the dead. Do you realize what Jesus did when he done that? He, he, he uh, certified everything Moses wrote. And that includes creation. The one who was before creation, who was there in Genesis 1, who was part of the Godhead, who was actually helping in creation, confirmed everything about creation by saying, if they don't believe what Moses wrote, they won't believe one though he come from the dead. And do you know he was exactly right? Because they didn't believe what Moses wrote, and they still many don't believe what Moses wrote, and they didn't believe one though he did come from the dead. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. So Jesus was basically prophesying. But while he was prophesying, he was also confirming what Moses had written to us. Moses the one that said, the rabbit chewed the cud. And they said, no, nah, the rabbit don't chew the cud. And then they had to back up and say, yeah, the rabbit chews the cud. Good for him. Let God be true and everybody else a liar. You know the greatest scientist in the world is? The Lord. Amen. You know who had the most intimate information about that? Adam and Moses. They were in with God. 
God is in charge. Then he says, he goes on to say, he hanged himself, but the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, the field was called the field of blood to this day. I want to bring up this potter's field because we're talking about the potter. Sometimes the potter would have a place where they would discard vessels that they didn't want to work on, that they didn't want to fix, or maybe they thought they could not be fixed, right? And that's how the Lord looks at the, the world. We're all vessels. We all need to be made over. And sometimes we get in situations where we need some repair work. So out there in that potter's field, out there were strangers who have no name, people who have no value, quote unquote, right? Things that have no value. They're tossed out there. Isn't it wonderful that the price of your Savior bought the potter's field? Prophesying to all of us that I'm not only willing to make people over and put them back on the wheel, but I'm willing to buy the field where all the things are discarded that nobody cared about and buy that field and bring them back and make them over. That's what the Lord's speaking to us. This field speaks volumes to us about how wonderful He is with those things and people who have no name, no value, who've been discarded. That's the Lord. The Bible says in Psalm 27, When father and mother forsake you, then the Lord will take you in. And finally, let's go to Romans chapter 8. This... In Romans chapter 8, let's look at verse 18. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. The Bible says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. God uses trials and hard times to Work on us like a good potter. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. God's going to liberate everything. Let me tell you what happened in the garden. God gave Adam and Eve the same thing He did with us. He gave us a will. When you have a will, that means you have the ability to choose. Right? And because they had a will, God said, you can have every tree in the garden. He said, just kind of like the tithe, right? He said, I got one tree I don't want you to mess with. He said, don't mess with that one, the knowledge of good and evil. Eve got deceived. The Hebrew says, when the serpent came by, he caused me to forget. She said he deceived me, but he caused me to forget. And that's how sin works on all of us. It's like this moment where you just forget everything. Forget the judgment, forget the consequences, forget how it may affect others, all that. That's how sin works. We have the ability to choose because we have a will. Two things could never happen unless we had a will. We could neither sin nor trust. When you married that person, you chose them. We, we talk about that sometimes in a, a marriage ceremony. You chose them above all others. You made a decision, right? You grew up here and there's plenty of fish in the sea, right? When you were trying to find a mate. Don't worry about it. There's plenty of fish in the sea. Yeah, but some of those fish have teeth. So you want to make sure you reel in the right one. Both sides, right? I've, I've told my children this for years. I said, you know what's worse than marrying the wrong person? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's the worst thing you can do. So he said, so you could neither sin nor trust if you did not have a will. You'd be a robot. God could have created us like robots where we could never sin, but it wouldn't be relational. That's what's happening to our culture. 
all this technology is causing us to be less relational. We've got to guard against that. I read an article about a company who made everybody not email or use any form of platform one day a week because they were losing the unity among their staff. In other words, they had a day a week where they had to get out of their office and walk down the hall or take the elevator down to another floor and talk to somebody face to face. We're losing that. So God risked, by giving us a will, He risked the fact that we might sin. Hoping, or desiring, I should say, that we would trust Him. Few are doing this, many are doing this. And forget about the the manifestation of sin. Think about it as in the, the sense of people just doing their way and not following God. So God was willing to risk the fact that most would choose the sin and few would choose to have people who had a relationship with Him. You think about this. If you have a $10 million yacht and nobody likes you, including your dog. Did y'all see that survey? I believe it was a third of the people they surveyed said they would give their house up before they would their pet. And another third said they'd give their spouse up. (laughs) How much does your spouse like the dog or the cat? You better ask. Because when somebody has to go. (laughs) So God gave us a will desiring that we would trust knowing that many would choose to sin. And then he goes on to say, he says, this trouble we're having is worth waiting. And the creation is being delivered. Then he says, verse 24, we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now, not only that, but we should, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan, within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption and redemption of our body. Every day I live, I keep getting ready for Jesus to come back. Because it's crazy down here. Uh, he says, uh, it is. It's crazy. People are crazy. Um, <clears throat> waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our body. And that will be good news too, right? How many of you wake up sore every morning? For we, have, we, are, we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope for what, why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. I shared this story. It's been a while, but there was a, a children's home with, with children with special needs. And so it's a Christian home with special needs, much like Sister Mary's that we work with. And then they had a group in there. And one of the people in the group asked him, said, what's the biggest problem you have here? And they said, keeping the windows clean. And they said, well, why is that? And they said, because we tell these children that Jesus is coming back and they're not going to stay the same way they are today. And she said, every day they get up and look out the window saying, is today the day? What if we all lived that way? They're being told that Jesus makes the difference and they're waiting for Him. What if we waited for our groom? The way we're supposed to. What if we didn't get up every day mad, but we got up every day rejoicing, saying, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And then he says, We we were saved in this hope, but hope that it seems not hope. We know, I've used that El Pizzo, El Pistas, hope without a question mark. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So we're continuing, right? We're being consistent, even though. Sometimes the days get long. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. You'll hear some of this this coming Wednesday morning. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Think about that. The Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf. Jesus is interceding on our behalf. How can you lose? You can lose by being stubborn and doing your own will. That's how we lose. That's how we miss out on things because we want to do it our way. And do you know God can keep you in obscurity like He did John the Baptist, raise you up for a few months or several months, then take you home. Get more done 
and two years of him doing it instead of us trying to come up with a plan for God. Then, just like Stephen, right? Stephen impacted the whole nation with one sermon and then God took him home. He waited on his time. He didn't have any preconceived ideas for God, trying to get God's kingdom straightened out. Boy, the kingdom would really work if, if, if God would let me do this. Really? Just wait on your moment and be ready for that moment. How are you ready for that moment? By staying in love with Jesus Christ, making Him your husband, living that way every day. Then he says, Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit is, uh, of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You're getting prayed for by Jesus and interceded for by the Holy Spirit that the will of God would be done in your life. Not your will, not mine. And even Jesus prayed that about himself. He said, it's not my will, but your will be done. Because he was in the flesh. He knew how the flesh would work. And then he says that he's praying for us that the will of God would be done. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknow, He, he predestined uh, to com- be conformed to the image of His Son. You're going to go through a season, different seasons, and sometimes they're going to be difficult because God is conforming you and I into the image of His Son. And then He says, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. Whom He justified, these He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's your life if you want to have it. If you want to get up every day and focus on the things you see. See, that's what happened. Now we got plenty of examples of this. The Greek says it like this, and God enters into all things to work them from good. God's not responsible for our messes that we create. But God The Bible says He don't tempt us with sin. He can't do any sin. He can't do wrong. He can't lie. He can't do anything. So when we step into those moments where we go against God, God's not responsible for that. But He's saying, if you'll ask me, if you'll invite me, I'll step into that moment and bring good out of it. Now what if God were like a lot of folks were? What if He said to Naomi, Ah, you all disobeyed me, so get out of here. I ain't fooling with you. Right? What if He said that to Abraham? You done got your son. I'm not giving you one now. You done it your way. Huh? What if he said that to David? He said, oh, you done got you another woman, stole it from another guy, had him killed and all that. I'm not fooling with you no more. You make me look bad. What's that sound like? Sounds like a boss. Sounds like a parent sometimes. You make me look bad. That's not how God is. And then finally, we see how God stepped into Elimelech's Naomi's situation. Brought Ruth out of that. We see how God brought Solomon out of a mess. We see how God gave Isaac in spite of Ishmael. And we see how good God is. The Bible says Job had ten more children and double everything else. Why didn't he double his children? Well, he didn't want to raise that many, I get. He's got the other ten waiting on him. They didn't need doubled up. He still had those ten. They just went on to another place. God's good. If you think how you would be, I tell myself and and my family from time to time, it's a good thing I'm not God. For all our sakes, myself included. You see how good God is? But He wants you to understand it's not Him just wanting you to quit doing the deeds. It's He wants your heart. You guys can come to the instruments. He wants your heart. God wants our heart. He wants you to be in love with Him. He wants you to treat His Son like He's your spouse. He wants you to honor Him. He wants your whole heart. God wants your whole heart. Have you ever dealt with somebody and you just you can't get them to fully see what you're saying, right? Maybe it's a child, one of your offspring or whatever. And it's really... You're not, the outcome is not what you're after. It's the heart. It's them to understand what you're trying to teach them. God wants your heart. He don't need nothing else you have. Let's stand our feet. For God to be omnipotent means He exists internally 
God does not need anything outside of himself to exist. He's the only one that could be said about. Can't be said about any other creature. God exists internally. So God wants and desires a relationship with us. That's mind-blowing. And then for him to say, you know what, you've made a mess out of things, but if you'll invite me in, I'll make something out of it. Over and over and over, right? And then he brings us on into that moment and he keeps, and not only does he make good out of it, but it's a blessing. God will enter into your situation and bring good out of it if you'll let him. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the baptisms we're going to do today and what they represent of what you're doing here in this body and in this location. We, didn't, we don't do anything, Lord. We just obey. We don't save anybody. We can't save anyone. We just thank you, Lord, that you have a place here where you can show yourself that others may see your love and mercy and grace. We don't want to make this about us, Lord. It's not about us. It's about you. If there's anybody in the sound of my voice that needs to really surrender this morning, maybe it's somebody who's never walked with you. Maybe it's a Christian who's doing their own thing in in an area of their life and they've not surrendered. They've brought the trespass offering time and time again. But they neglect to bring the sin offering. We just pray this moment, Lord, that everybody that's watching around the world or get this podcast, that they'll understand we all have a sin condition. And that we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. You have a remedy for that. We remember your death this morning. We bring our lives before you, God. Let us do what Paul did. Let us crucify ourselves and die daily. This altar's open as we worship one more time.